0: This week on the It's a Monkey podcast.
1: Climbing a mountain like Kilimanjaro is very much one step at a time. You do not get to that summit really quickly. It it took us uh, six and a half days to get to the top. And there's times when you're just like, why am I here? Why am I in a place where there's not enough oxygen? This is ridiculous. But then you just, you get up, take another step, take another step, and then you get where you're trying to go even though they were just tiny little movements to get there. So I I take that mentality and apply it to to building a, a business.
0: Good morning, good evening. Hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO and co-founder of Managed Flitter and soon to be Managed Social as well. It is Friday, the 9th of February, whilst we are recording this podcast. You're probably listening to it a few days later. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. And... um, as always, we like to hear from you at podcasteditormonkey.com or you can tweet us. We're also experimenting and doing some live streams of this recording as well. So we are live streaming this podcast at the moment on Facebook Live. So if you don't uh, like us on Facebook yet, like us on Facebook. You'll get a notification when we come up live. We don't live stream the the interview part at this stage. It's just Kate and I doing the news and then um, the, the post analysis. So it's almost like a little bit of a behind-the-scenes recording of um, the podcast. So we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk a bit about some interesting tech news. And um, later on in the show, we talk with Jennifer Fine, who's the founder of You Live Live to travel and uh, I bumped into in a cafe in Melbourne of all of places and uh, Jennifer landed up being the, the founder and CEO of this uh, interesting startup in Melbourne and I chat to her about all sorts of things, tech startup and uh, a few interesting bits and pieces and unique things going, probably the only startup that I've come across that's a that's an all-female team which is sort of cool it's just even cool just because it's different, haven't come across it and we talk about um, all those bits and pieces later on in the show as usual I have my co-host with me, Kate Frapel, who's the design lead at Manage Flutter and Manage Social. Your title's a little bit misleading, Kate. Kate sort of does I, I don't know, I don't think we can distill what you do into a job description. Like, you know, you and Joe and I think you guys just do like your title just should be like a bit of absolutely everything, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I've actually thought recently I was like, I really should change that, but I haven't come up with anything better.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'd, uh, yeah I'd, so but uh, kate doesn't just do design she does do design and ux but also she helps out with the podcast and other special projects and uh, even recruiting and all sorts of bits and pieces so kate's sitting in Whistler whistle at the moment and thanks for joining us as always kate
2: uh, no worries it's good to be back again
0: um, before we head into the news item, just want to remind you to check out episode 111, where we uh, chatted with the. That's a previous episode, which you can uh, have a look at it, it's a monkey.com. We chatted with the CTO, the head of technology at Independent Reserve, which is one of Australia's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. And that was really a fascinating chat. And that was with Roman Stefan, uh, Stefanidi, and uh, we spoke all about cryptocurrency. And that leads right into our first news article. Of course, we've been talking a lot about crypto and a lot about um, Bitcoin, etc. Over the last year, even before that, I think we chatted first on the podcast about it, probably three, four years ago. So it's uh, we've we've had our finger on the pulse for a while. One of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges, Binance, went down about, I don't know, over 24 hours ago. Now, this is a big story for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Binance is a company, it's a cryptocurrency exchange, um, first and foremost, um, where you can buy and sell cryptos. But why it's interesting is Binance is on record as the fastest profitable unicorn in history. Now, Unicorn is a company that reaches $1 billion valuation. Now, there have been other companies that have reached $1 billion valuation relatively quickly. You know, your Facebooks, your Facebooks of the world and your Airbnbs and um, Slack and Dropbox. Binance is quite remarkable in the sense of it only reached this valuation. It reached this valuation in only six months. and And on top of that, it reached – Profitability in six months. All these other unicorns weren't at profitability. It's really tricky to get a tech company at scale, in in profitability. So one of Binance's claims to fame was its uh, reliability was pretty good and a lot of exchanges have had issues with hacking and uh, outages and extended maintenance windows and scaling issues and Binance up until now hasn't had any issues. So of course the whole internet is freaking out now because Binance went down. What happened, as far as I can ascertain, and according to their tweet and their CEO has been tweeting regularly is that they had a maintenance window to upgrade something. Then there's something called replication where you create databases that replicate each other for for backup purposes. Something went wrong with the replication and they had to restart it. Now, when you're dealing with huge data sets, it's very, very difficult to maneuver quickly. If you picture that you, you know, say you're moving a large amount of data from your external hard drive to your computer, it takes time, right? Now, if something goes wrong, you've got to start again. And for no level of money can you actually expedite and accelerate the process. So, of course, the crypto world and the internet and the commentary have been going nuts because the exchange is down. And then when an exchange is down, it's a big deal because you've got money sitting in there. You've got assets sitting in there. You want to trade them. If the market moves, you could lose opportunity to make money. Of course, it can also go in your favor and it can actually save your money because it's not letting you touch anything. But people don't let you focus so much on that. So I've been following um, the CEO's tweets and. Um, you know, I'll read you one of his tweets. He said, Data is still copying painfully slow. It's 4.30 a.m. here. We'll catch a nap and continue in a couple of hours. What they also did, because a lot of people were worried that they'd been hacked, and if they'd been hacked, then people lose their Bitcoin and lose their Ethereum. And there were rumors that they've actually been hacked. It's not just a database issue, but the CEO actually tweeted out and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually send some of our own Bitcoins from our cold storage, so, you know, like the private keys on a piece of paper, to through to our hot storage. And we're going to show you a record that that has just happened. So the reason why he did that is to show that they still have access to all their Bitcoins, to all their crypto assets, and that people just mustn't panic. This is a database issue. Databases fail. That's why we got backups. And they will be back online, no doubt. So that's another day of excitement in the crypto world. It's uh, an exciting world interestingly as well they're not just an exchange binance they've actually got their own tokens they've got their own coins that you can buy and you can use those coins to use them for transaction fees as a discount and they also an asset that land up being tradable as well so that's it's really quite interesting i won't get into that whole side of things but um binance is still down and my my young nephew who's uh, pretty excited about uh, crypto. And he actually got me into Binance. So this is the way of the world, Kate, we're 17 year olds, right? I get a text about two months ago, it's like, hey, Kev, you should check out this exchange. They're amazing. Um, and he's guiding me through my crypto journey. So uh, I got a text from him yesterday saying Binance is down. So and, and uh, they've they've had a clean record up until then. And now scaling systems is incredibly difficult. But Binance are making a lot of money. So they really, th- these are complicated things to to, to architect, it's easy to get systems to 90% reliability, 95% reliability. To get that final bit, you've got to almost put triple the effort that you'd spent up to 95%. It's really, really tricky. You need all sorts of redundancies, but there's always single point of failures. And, you know, for example, you can, uh, you can have all sorts of redundancy in one data center, and something happens to that data center, and all your redundancy is absolutely meaningless, right? But you can, uh, so you've got to think of everything you're going to have different data centers different companies and and this is also one of the reasons why um traditional equity exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or the Australian stock market have very, very stringent requirements about their technology systems. And you'll notice it's very, very seldom you hear that New York Stock Exchange went down or NASDAQ went down or ASX went down because part of what they're offering and part of the guarantees is that you are able to trade when and where you like. And crypto is still in the very early days. Coinbase has been hit by a lot of infrastructure issues. Now, Binance has been hit by infrastructure issues. I really feel for these guys because... Because we have had issues where we've had to maneuver large data sets around and there's just nothing you can do. And your customers are unhappy and you are more unhappy than your customers. Um, but anyway, they'll be back. So that's that's Binance. So another exciting day in the crypto world. And uh, we're going to continue the theme along the podcasts of, of crypto because it's such a, a a brand new world. And it's and it's nice and, and a little bit divisive and controversial um, as well. So... That's our first news story for the day, um, Kate. There's also um, an interesting article that you sent me about Intel and and uh, smart glasses, which I thought uh, I haven't heard about. I haven't heard since Google glasses, uh, which sort of was a, a dismal failure, and everyone critiqued them as really not looking cool. I haven't heard much. So tell us a little bit more about what Intel uh, are putting together around these smart glasses.
2: Yeah, so um, Intel they're a, just a prototype at the moment, they're making smart glasses that sort of fit into your existing life and look relatively normal. So if you have a look, there'll be an article attached to the show notes. Um, they're just like a black frame. They look like regular glasses, prescription glasses, and they've got, I guess, the electronics are in the the side frames, so next to your face, which sort of balances it somehow. Um, but the difference mostly is that the Technology behind them is that they're pointing a laser uh, into your into your eyeball, and it's reflecting off your retina, and then back onto just the right side of your lens. And it's also just sort of following your eye movements. It's a very low class laser, so it's not dangerous. And it's basically just red text in a box and very simple notifications that link in like with Bluetooth to you know some kind of AI like Alexa or Siri.
0: So, so basically, it's a it 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 actually gives you sort of a heads up display of your notifications, right? So you wear these glasses, and and it creates a it creates some sort of virtual screen, and and you can get notifications without looking at your phone. That's essentially its its core value offering, right?
2: Uh, yeah. So it, since it's a prototype, they're releasing it to developers to improve and extend upon the technology at the end of this year. But the the core idea is that yes, you just get these sort of subtle notifications when you glance down, you don't see them, type thing. So they've sort of really designed it into the way you're already working with your glasses.
0: So so sort of the way bifocals work, right? They've the sort of two yeah. different lenses, and it's designed the way when you look down, you're looking close or far; you're looking up a little bit like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and less than fifty grams, so they're quite light. And they yeah, I think the main thing is that they. They look and feel normal, um, and it's only just your right side that gets the the notifications, and you can sort of turn them off and on. Yeah, so there's no fancy cameras or buttons, no gestures or LCD screens and stuff to freak people out. I think it's just like a nice a nice step that sort of Google overstepped.
0: Now, can other people like if I'm talking to you and I get a notification on my Intel glasses? Can you see that I've got a notification? Like, like does it? Will no. you see?
2: No, so only, only you will see it because it's going straight into your eyeball and reflecting back. So you're actually seeing it. So there's no blurring or um, like sight issues there either.
0: And you won't see some weird laser shining onto my eyeball for a moment or something.
2: You may. Um, I haven't actually seen them in, obviously, in the flesh. But yeah, I mean, the idea is that it's, it's quiet, it's subtle, and, you know, you could be glancing your notifications while having a conversation with
0: someone interesting well i quite like that i mean particularly when it's if it's configurable you can configure it to just display a message from a family member or new partner or you know even certain urgent slack notifications and you can just leave your phone i mean obviously it brings up a new issue that. At least when people are staring at the phone, you know that they're staring at the phone. But people are sitting reading a whole long article while they're talking to you and just nodding, you know, and they, yeah, and, and they, it's like a whole other level of. Um, but I can certainly, and even in the workplace, I can so, sort of see it. You can maybe you're working on a document and you configure email notifications from certain people to pop up in there. You know, the, the configurability adds a lot to these tools, but unfortunately, these tools are also quite addictive and they can cause other social issues. And I think that with Google Glass was heavily criticized for, for looking weird and being intrusive and people worrying that you know people walk into a place with Google glass and they can just stream and record things but i think the notifications is a is a good place to start i think that's where the watches the smart watches have started it's essentially started with the with the simplicity which like the you know the steps and the and the notifications that's that was the starting point right
2: yeah definitely i mean i think it's yeah you've got a point they start they really need to start off non intrusively um, which is just displaying text messages, but I'm—I don't think I'm a fan of the idea of having this constant distraction right in front of you. Um, I think it's going to take away from like a human to human experience.
0: Yeah, look, I mean that's that's become a, a big, a big issue. You know, the phones. Everyone around the world is staring at their phone. I'm not quite sure which way it's going to go. If there's going to be a backlash at some stage, or we're just going to take it to go even deeper and be deep in VR and AR. I, I think it will be that so i think we're fighting a losing battle that's why nice to go deep into the australian bush sometime where there's no mobile signal and uh you have to have to get have to get back to basics (laughs) i'm sure there's a lot of areas in canada as well that are pretty isolated that that don't have mobile signal right
2: yeah in in between towns if you did a, a sort of a road trip i guess through the mountains you'd lose signals in some places
0: Australia's pretty good on the major highways, but if you go off the major highways, and Australia gets isolated pretty quickly, so you can lose signal pretty quickly. But most people, most people stay very connected. But um, yeah, look, that's Intel glasses. It'll be interesting. I mean, I would like, and also on contact lenses would be you know pretty cool as well. I guess we've we've become so used to processing so many notifications and processing so much information and um, I think it's all about configurability if you haven't configured your email and your slack and you know all your other systems and your facebook's and your twitters and you you can configure these things to work for you and I think that's really the idea. And once you spend a little bit of time filtering out your email, setting up your Slack and you can actually still have a very sane life and just the the necessary and important bits surfaced. I still struggle like with email, just trying to trying to filter things and set up automatic filters and it's it's still a little bit of a an ongoing battle for me and and worrying about legitimate things slipping through so there's still it's a little bit of an information information sort of overload but um yeah these you know we've got to remember that these tools are made to assist us they're not made to we mustn't become the tools of the tools you know these tools um are here for us so uh, yeah interesting intel we'll put uh, as usual we'll put all the 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 show note links up um, to um, the news articles, we try to cover a bit of news because there's so much going on in our industry, and it's difficult to to keep track of all. It's always actually pretty tricky to choose new two news items. We could probably put a podcast every day together with just an hour on on news items. And I sit at work with my Twitter feed open and just um, on one of my screens, and just constantly seeing what's going on and the changes. So it's uh, our industry. Our industry moves incredibly incredibly fast so we're going to take a short break uh when we come back we're going to play the interview that i did with jennifer fine who's the founder of you live to travel or yuli and uh we had a chat about her startup and the entrepreneurial journey she's originally from america jennifer's originally from america um lives in melbourne now and uh, was visiting sydney and i managed to catch up with her so stick around
3: hi my name is joe pinto I'm the Business Operations Manager here at ManageFlitter. Did you know that ManageFlitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, ManageFlitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, Follow these Twitter accounts using ManageFlitter's simple interface. Step 4. Unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step 5. Watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high quality accounts follow you back. Step 6. Rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough.
0: You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. We chat about everything relating to tech, the political economy. We talk about social media, online marketing. We've also been talking a lot about crypto. And we like to talk a lot about the entrepreneurship Ecosystem and chat to interesting people in the um, industry. And a couple of months ago, I was hanging out in a, a Melbourne cafe, and someone was feverishly working next to me on their laptop, and they had all these tech stickers, including one from Slack. And I have to say, I thought it might be someone who actually worked at Slack, because I know that Slack has an office in Melbourne. For some crazy reason, they chose Melbourne and not Sydney. Boo for Slack. And I started chatting to this person, and it landed up being my guest today on the podcast. Um jennifer fine who is the founder of you live to travel which is the creator of the yuli platform and uh, i managed to drag her into our very fancy podcast studio yes. so um, welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: it's a uh, people underestimate how you can meet people really anywhere in life right yeah and um so we we got talking about Tech and um, you know, it landed up being that you you've created this this interesting company and this interesting platform. And recently, I saw that you were you made it to a, a Huffington Post article mm. um, about female entrepreneurs. Um, I've got that in front of me. Ninety-nine
1: limit-breaking female founders. That's I'm that's in very good company on that list. Uh, I feel that I have a lot to aspire to to uh, deserve their company, but yeah, I'm very proud.
0: Now, I think. I think the whole female founder challenge and discussion is is obviously very worthwhile but I but I think it's it's not worth I guess overemphasizing this you like sometimes in America I get a bit frustrated where they always they always look for the first something you know oh it's the 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 first pageant winner that's you know wasn't born here and and it's it's nice sometimes to to see the similarity not the difference but I definitely mm. think the whole female founder thing is definitely um there's such a, a stereotype of, especially in the valley, of of a male founder coming from a particular pedigree. And I think it's so nice to see that that the diversity really helps us all. I think it helps people sort of approach problems differently. It also mm. it also helps us Behave differently and better, and be more sensitive. It's like living in a big city, right? Mm. You get exposed to different practices. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Jennifer, welcome <laughs> to the welcome to the podcast.
1: I could talk about female founder stuff all day long.
0: Well, you, your company was I found particularly interesting because it's actually the only company that I've met that's got. An all-female team, and it's including all the technical people, right? And
1: that was accidental, so, you know, men can apply for the roles that we have out. (laughs) So, yeah, it just kind of came together that way. Uh, I think, ironically, if I had started this in New York, where I come from, I probably would have had mostly men, Uh because that was the technical people I knew there. But just the way that I kind of plugged into the tech scene in Melbourne, I ended up going to a She Hacks event, Uh which is run by Girl Geek Academy, And that's where I met my co-founder. And then, you know, just through networks and things like that. And then it turned out most of my customers ended up being women. And so I just ended up sort of traveling in these sort of female founder circles. And so those are the people that I've ended up hiring
0: fantastic and i think it's also a lesson to people in terms of finding your co-founders you've got to get out there there's just no shortcut you've got to go to the meetups you've got to go to networking events there's no guarantee you'll meet a co-founder i mean Mm -mm. this morning just before we met i was sitting in a cafe doing some work and I started uh, chap sat down next to me he asked me to move my bag because I was a bit spread out it's you know sorry about that we started chatting and he's ex semantic right and he's a, a marketing technologist that's ex semantic and we started talking about work so it's nice that is becoming a little bit like that I know in the Bay mm-hmm. Area it's really I mean at a cafe you just you know and in, in I met I met I once met someone who worked at a VC company in a line at a pizza place Delphina pizza and and she was so great she's like, whatever context you want, I'll help you. You know, it's, it's really, yeah. it definitely helps being in the right ecosystem.
1: And I do actually feel like there's a slightly more sort of Silicon Valley tech feel to Sydney than Melbourne, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So just went to Ibudo for dinner the other night, and there was just a whole table full of kids uh-huh. <laughs> wearing sort of uh, Slack T-shirts or, um, you know, Splunk or Google or Atlassian and things like that. And I, just, I don't see that as much mm-hmm. in Melbourne. So.
0: Yeah, I think look, I think Melbourne's definitely the cultural capital of Australia. I'm proud to say that, even as a Sydney person. And I think particularly around this area, um, York Street near Wynyard has has become a little bit of a, a tech hub. You've also mm. got Surrey Hills. Yeah, um, but but that being said, there are a lot. Uh, you know, I think I think Zendesk's in Melbourne as well. That's right. Slack's in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got Facebook and Twitter here, so and atlassian <laughs> Atlassian, which of course, yeah, the big h q and you see everyone wearing the the, the, the they've all got st- hoodies and st- I mean they what I think I can't remember. I, I'm I'm not sure if I'm quoting correctly that they would spend a million dollars a year on merch or something like that.
1: Whoa. Yeah, it
0: was something really big. Like and you can understand when they go you when you see it. Mm. Um, so there's a lot it's of everywhere. There, there's a lot of Atlassian merch. And they sort of worked out that technical people like receiving this merch and it's a marketing exercise for them to just um, give out. Merch, nice.
1: Well, it's it's funny about merch. Uh, one of the things in terms of being uh, a female in tech is sometimes when you're at conferences, they don't have t-shirts that fit a sort right. of smaller female frame, and that was something I pointed out to one of my mentors, and it just it had never occurred to him that that's kind of the soft gender imbalance that can happen in in the tech world. Because it's one of those, well, there's mostly guys here, so we're going to have mostly guy t-shirts. And so then it just sort of creates that bias, which you just feel like, oh, well, I'm not going to wear that t-shirt because it doesn't fit me Mm. as a woman. And so you just sort of, you know, just creates these little, little tiny barriers. And I think the good news is we're at a place where most places you have an opportunity to prove yourself. And so it's it's about kind of creating that atmosphere of women engineers feeling like they should knock on the door and show up. And that's kind of the stuff that like uh, Girl Geek Academy does really well. And they just you know create these spaces to say, it's OK. We're going to give you t-shirts that fit you. And we're going to encourage you to develop the skills that you need so you knock on the door and you get those jobs at Atlassian or Slack or Zendesk or hopefully Yuli
0: and i think I think yeah i mean it's it's a it's a catch twenty two situation because if the culture of the companies aren't right and they're not um appealing to to female tech staff then Then other female tech staff aren't attracted to it, and it's Mm. you sort of got to break the seal somehow, right?
1: Yeah, and and and, you know it is it is an interesting challenge, like you know, and women do the same thing in the other way in terms of you know all female groups can sometimes feel intimidating to a guy trying to get in. So certainly can happen both ways, and so I think it's just about being aware of that and then trying to work through it, and that's why having these conversations is important. I mean, I just took a, the Startup Genome survey. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen that come mm-hmm. around. And at the end of it, it kind of gives you the stats. And it said there's only 13% of the responders were female founders.
0: Is this in Australia? This is in
1: Australia. I think it's in Australia. They right. were sort of pushing to get Melbourne on the map. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, you know, it's, it's a number that's higher than it's been in the past. So that's good news. But it's something that, you know, we should be able to continue to move that
0: look i think i think diversity in the startup industry in general is a problem you know and i think and i think these subtle privileged biases you know we we've got to be honest about them and i think it doesn't serve the industry as a whole and i think whether it's migrants or or, or people from poorer backgrounds or people mm. from uneducated backgrounds or you know, people don't, don't realize that if you grow up in a privileged background, you've got education, you've got contacts in the industry, mm. you've got self awareness and the confidence to give it a go. All these things are not, you, you weren't really born in a vacuum with them. Right? And it perpetuates a certain flavor of the industry. Yep. And it's really difficult for people to, I mean, even the voices, the people talking on Twitter, the people talking on the blogs aren't necessarily the marginalized groups, right? They're the highly educated, highly confident groups and that are going to distort things. So, mm. yeah, yeah. you know, I'm hoping in Sydney and in the Valley, there are some, some VCs that are perhaps looking at it through a broader lens and are bold enough, obviously, in a way, it's probably riskier. I mean, to. F- to f- Mm. To found a team from, from Stanford is probably de-risking in a way, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. And and you can understand that. But, you know, anyway, so tell us a little bit about, Jennifer, tell us a little bit about your the the story of, of how you came to mm. found this company. I think a lot of people are, are, are listeners to the show. You either are giving it a go or they want to give it a go and they're particularly interested in that very early phase. How do you go from mm. being in a job – being a founder of a company that you know making a bit of money or having having some funding so take us right back.
1: Yeah well I actually took a year off between my job and sort of starting this business because I really needed to get that headspace clear to figure out what I wanted to do so I sort of wanted to do something but couldn't find my way to it and during that year I traveled a lot so that Process really kind of unlocked this gap in the market around planning group trips in particular and just generally creating a a private space where you can without distraction and without ads actually get your tribe gathered because to do really interesting things it takes a lot of work and a lot of prep and uh, so then, I just thought, okay, well, there's nothing out there that's exactly what I need. I'm gonna do a prototype, and then I and, and actually you from
0: a technical background, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm originally computer science, mathematics um, undergrad. I was part of a startup during, during the sort of pre GFC boom. And uh, the company was actually called Cheetah Mail, and it was mm-hmm. acquired by Experian Marketing Services. So I sort of have been through early growth stage of a startup through to acquisition and then sort of trying to survive as an acquired company and start a large one. And so I've sort of seen that life cycle, but I'd never actually seen the like the genesis of the idea part of it. So I was really keen to kind of have that experience. And so... I. I knew a lot of developers from all of that kind of work, and one of them was kind enough to work with me on doing the prototype. And then we built that for my destination wedding to Jordan. So we invited 100 people. We had 30 come. And we organized an eight-day tour of Jordan with them. And so that was a really good test of the concept and got really good feedback. So then we decided to go ahead and take that, turn it into an actual MVP and get clients on it. And so that happened uh, last year. So in February of 2017, we started doing early adopters. And we actually threw out the original code base, started again, built that. And we went live with our public beta in November so obviously, I'm covering over a lot of details there, but uh, you know, and I think it, it's always an interesting question, like how do you move ahead, and it's, you just just one step at a time. And the way that I sort of mentally prepared myself for this was a, one of the trips that I planned on the platform last year was a trip to Kilimanjaro. So we took eight people to the summit, and so that was operating as a customer. So I was using my product as I wanted my customers to use it and facing all those challenges of getting people bought in and actually going on this trip and hopefully everyone coming back alive. So that all went really well. And you know, climbing a mountain like Kilimanjaro is very much one step at a time. You do not get to that summit really quickly. It, it took us uh, six and a half days to get to the top. And there's times when you're just like, why am I here? Why am I in a place where there's not enough oxygen? This is ridiculous. But then you just you get up, take another step, take another step, and then you get where you're trying to go, even though they were just tiny little movements to get there. So I, I take that mentality and apply it to to building a, a business.
0: So let, let's just take a step back on your the this platform itself. So it's a, a so that if someone's listening, they can really understand what it's you know main use cases so it's you mentioned you've used it you used it for your your wedding and you used it for this kilimanjaro trip so it's a, a platform that 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 helps to coordinate and plan a group travel experience right yes
1: yeah and in particular one that has some kind of central purpose so you know trying to climb a mountain uh, you're trying you're coordinating a destination wedding uh, we also do retreats sort of leadership type things so we have a lot of clients who take people to like the Himalayas or to Mongolia and really kind of help them have uh, unique experiences that really unlock challenges that they need to overcome to be better leaders for example.
0: So someone would um, say there's a someone's organizing yeah to say a trip to Mongolia and they'll use your platform do they use it as an archive of information, instructions as a sort of mini social media network or do mm. people actually purchase through that platform as well?
1: All of the above. Right. So it's from marketing to booking to sort of prep work leading up to it and all the way to the actual execution of it in terms right. of an itinerary. And so when our clients first set up a trip, it's just, it's like a brochure and they're just trying to get people bought in. When people sign up and say, yes, I'm interested, then it goes through and collects deposits and then installments. And along the way, it's keeping them up to date. It's a social platform in the sense that everyone who's going can see everybody else. Right. So you start to build that awareness of who are these people. And you can opt into sort of optional experiences if there's extra side things as well. And you can see, oh, OK, well, Mary is going to do that one, so I'll add it as well. Or oh, Bob is doing that one, so I'm not gonna to do that one and so you you can have that social component it also manages the tasks and the information so the store of information thing one of the our competitors is really facebook groups mm-hmm. is what people often use today which is not
0: not really a competitor i mean no, facebook Facebook yeah. sort of a competitor to everyone
1: exactly in a way but yeah. it's
0: also really not it's a, it's a generalized product right? it's
1: it, people don't have a solution so they use facebook groups yeah. and yeah. it What that does, though, is it means if I'm the kind of traveler who just needs, like, just tell me what I need to know. Facebook group is horrible for that. So Yuli creates a place where you just go in, you get the information that you need right then, and it drives you to the next thing that you need to do. So it's kind of keeping track of your tasks and your payments and communications and changes all in one place.
0: I I go – I like retreats, mainly sort of yoga-ish type retreats. And um, I can definitely see the value instead of emails flying around and and Facebook groups. And particularly just thinking out aloud now, what what I do a lot is sometimes I stumble upon either tech conferences or retreats sometime in the future. And I put them in my calendar, right? But Mm. what I'd totally be open to doing is to actually signing up as a prospective attendee. On, on your platform and then they can stay in touch with me or they they can. It's, it's definitely, I can see the value in having a coordinated experience around this. And I would imagine on the corporate side of things, I mean, these big companies must be constantly having trips. I mean, the big banks. Yeah.
1: And yeah. And so that'll definitely be one of the segments that we pursue as the product matures, you know, the, the sort of selling into enterprises is always an interesting yeah. process yeah. and Long i think they tend cycle. yeah and they tend not to love taking risks with new businesses so we figure we need to be a bit more established yeah. but conveniently we're working with a lot of really great young companies mm-hmm. so right now our, our main target is people who are sort of a couple of years into their business of creating these sort of transformational experiences whether they're retreats or tours that are super unique and they're getting to the point where they're losing track of things, and mm-hmm. they need operational tools to scale. Often, they're, they've started to have a team. So we're really great for small teams that need to coordinate on these kinds of trips. So you don't have to you know, share each other's email inboxes. You can just check in on the trip on the platform, and you can see, oh, great. Maria took care of that. I'll just update this, and we're good to go.
0: As soon as people start using email as a produ- productivity tool, You know, you need to find a better tool, right? Mm. It's like just as a tip out there email should not be used as a project management tool. As it's just, there's a lot better tools out there. Yeah, absolutely. um, It's definitely so. So, what's the size of the retreats typically? How many people? What's Uh, like, what does it range from?
1: Well, it ranges anywhere from usually minimums are about four, and Uh then I think 20 would be a big one. Uh And I find people tend to prefer around the ten to fifteen range. Right. Just it, it becomes difficult to have a really meaningful conversation when the bigger the group gets. Right. Yeah.
0: And and what's the business model?
1: So we are software as a service subscription model, uh-huh. so they pay us to have a white-labeled version of the platform, or they can use us for free, and we just take a clip of any bookings that they put through, but then they don't have their branding on it. So if they pay us a monthly or annual subscription, then they, we become kind of background, and it's all about them.
0: And you guys um, are bootstrapped, right? That's right. Up until now. So t- tell me about that journey because, I mean, you seem like from the outside a very a very fundable proposition in terms of um, you've got a great team in place, you've got a bit of traction. Is is this a particular path that you've chosen to try and see how far you guys can get by yourself?
1: Yeah, well, ironically, next month we are pitching to Melbourne Angels. Okay. So we so are going open. to – Yeah, I mean, I think we're open to the right kind of investors. Mm-hmm. Uh I did a lot of research early on about funding, and and the stories that I heard were pretty negative across the board. So either negative, as in they got funded and didn't get what they expected, or how hard it is to get funded. And it and it's was a
0: huge time and energy sink, right?
1: Exactly. And I felt like, well, wait, I I got into this because I wanted to do something that I loved. Why would I spend all my time doing something that doesn't really excite me? Yeah. So I thought, well, let me do everything that I can, bootstrapped. It'll give me the right kind of discipline. and It'll produce a company that is far more investable should I choose to pursue that. And it would attract the right kind of investors because at that point, I'll know what it is that I'm looking for in an investor. Because when you're really early, sometimes you don't know what the right fit is in the same way that you don't necessarily know who your best customer is.
0: Or even who your best team member is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, taking that time and I I would say that, you know, it's something that somehow in the startup world, like there's a lot of stories of, you know, fast turnarounds and stuff like that. Like most really good businesses take ages to build and especially if you're still at idea phase.
0: Most businesses are not Facebook. Okay. (laughs) Like, you know, I heard something once, you know, if you look at Facebook, Google, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, a lot of them haven't spent any money on marketing, right? So, but you've got to remember that 99.9% of businesses are not Google, Facebook, Twitter, like mm. we've, you know, and it's the same thing. You know, Facebook in a way has has set a weird bar for a lot of things. They such a unicorn of unicorn of unicorns, whether it's from their reliability on their tech side to their product mm. iteration to their uptake of users, but we've almost got to we've almost got to remove them, in my opinion. They just the statistical outlier yeah. and us mere mortals. <laughs> I, I agree. Things things take time. I mean, I think the 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 whole sort of funded you know silicon valley model in one way it's fantastic and it's created all these great mm. companies which are they all funded companies you know the googles and the facebook's but but there are many other ways of going about it
1: but i also you know i wanted to build something that was in line with my ethics and values because that's one of the great things like you know having a startup is very stressful but the the plus side of it is you get to decide what you put your time and energy into and what kind of company you want to create and i feel like sometimes when you get investment of the wrong kind you you get you get dragged into like for example one of my ethics is that i do not want to be ad funded Uh you know i decided i'm going to build a product that people are willing to pay to use explicitly and I figured if I can't do that then then this isn't for me. Uh, right? And uh,
0: we we the same as well. I mean, the fact that Silicon Valley has some of the smartest minds working on ad technology as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I I felt like that was a really important thing and and thinking about the ethics of, you know, when you get really really big like like Airbnb and Uber, you know, and they they change the world and, you know, that's interesting and fun to talk about and, you know, and impacts all of us, but you know, the ethics of that, like Airbnb is causing Barcelona to, to sort of cry for help because, you know, they can't afford to rent in their own Mm. town. Right. And you think, wait a minute, is that, is that really what the founders of Airbnb set out to do? And, you know, and now because they're VC funded and stuff like it, it'd be very difficult for them to, to sort of pull back from that, right?
0: Very, very difficult. And I think people forget, you know, they get excited, oh, this company raised 100 million or 200 million. Well, when a company raises 100 million, the investors are generally looking for a 10X return or more. So they're under a huge amount of pressure, Mm. right? To get a 1 billion plus exit... It's not easy, yeah, right? It's not easy. You try selling one product to a customer, let alone getting a $1 billion exit. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with David Hanemeyer Hansen. So he's th- one of the yes. the, yeah, yeah. the co-founders DHH. of Basecamp. DHH. Yeah. So yeah. we've had him on the podcast before as well. So you're in good company. Oh. <laughs> um, and he's wonderfully outspoken and very much against the model. He's very, I mm. mean, against the model. I think, though, in fairness... DHH and yourself come from technical backgrounds, right? Mm. You can do some of the initial groundwork, even if it's not some of the coding yourself, but you understand enough to, to hustle a good first version or an MVP. I think people mm. that are p- genuinely non-technical – very, very difficult for them to bootstrap 100%. Or they, they, they need a little bit of buffer to get a, a development company involved or mm. something like that. So you, you yes. do have a, a a little bit of an advantage in that sense of being a very technical person.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is a challenge. But, I, I mean, I also see some companies that are sort of doing prototypes with WordPress, mm. you know. And, you know, they know it's not going to scale. They know it's not the best. But... It's super cheap. It's accessible to non-technical people, so you know I I agree. It sort of it helped me move faster and further. But I I do think that technology is democratizing a bit, and so that you can get far enough to say, okay, there is a business model here, and and maybe be able to convince a technical co-founder to join you, or or have a clear enough idea of what you need from from a development shop, because I think that's one of the hardest things I. When you don't know what you need built, when you're in that iterative phase, mm, it's it, very difficult. Working with an, a, a sort of a paid yeah. dev shop is just not going to work because they're going to be like, "Well, I, I delivered a spec." You're like, "Yeah, but now that I see it, it's mm. not exactly what we need." And and they're going to be like, eh, too bad."
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And look, this is the whole art of the startup. You know, there's no one size fits all. There's no formula. It depends on a million things, mm-hmm. and there's there's totally different approaches. I mean, the the, the funded approach is definitely valid, and it's worked yeah. for a lot of people. But I, I think it also depends. You know, I've got some friends that have businesses where the the meaning and purpose behind their business isn't that important. For them it's just a means to an end of mm. of of making a decent living. And they don't philosophize as much about their team hires and their impact and where who where the money comes from. They they're different. You know, I think I'm a bit more similar to you as well, where I like the fact that we're not ad supported, we mm. we subscription supported. I like working with good people, nice people. Yeah. And, people who uh, share your values. People who share the values and I like and i do like the independence as well of 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 being bootstrapped and similar to you we're not close to the the right type of funding but mm. it has it has to be aligned we you know so it really it really depends, but definitely success is not funding. Success is creating a yes. profitable, business, sustainable business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes if you get funded too early in a way, it can it can be a little bit distracting from that. So, I mean, we've definitely gotten some assistance. You know, we went into a program with Melbourne Uni that mm-hmm. got us access to the Amazon Web Services. They have a, a startup program that gives you like ten thousand oh, dollars in that's credits. Nice. So, you know, that's
0: it all adds up. It huge, all huge,
1: you know, and um, so definitely you know, I'm not not full of pride and like I don't ask for help, but I I, um, I and I'm looking forward to finding the right kinds of investors who want to help me build a platform that really supports the change that's happening around people. You know, they're experts and they wanna kind of share that and they wanna monetize that and they can do that by running these kinds of retreats or travel. And so it's sort of a new, it's a new industry. So it's not your traditional travel industry. It's more of people who aren't so travel industry savvy and are really more about the people and they tend to go with them on the trips. And it's a bit of a different mindset. And to, and in some cases I'm helping businesses kind of grow and that, that's what I've, Really want to see is I I want to be the platform that people go to to be like okay yeah I'm ready to take my expertise and you know scale that and take people to these interesting locations share that knowledge with them unlock something in them and you know together we sort of you know improve everyone's self awareness I suppose that's a little bit of my my hippie upbringing mm-hmm. uh, having been born in California so yeah I just. I, I kind of find it ironic that I've gone through the whole tech gauntlet and ended up back a lot of my clients are very sort of new agey and a little bit like, you know, let's take some time off of the computer and let's <laughs> center ourselves. And I'm like, oh, this it's is a nice. a huge industry
0: though. I mean, <laughs> I think as the world becomes more virtual, people are craving real experiences more than ever.
1: Mm.
0: You know, whether it's something crazy like Burning Man or the smaller ones or, yeah. you know, you get tired of... Of even at the end of the day, sometimes I'll call my friends, and they'll go. Um, especially my younger friends, they prefer texting. And I say, look, I'm just. I spent the whole day typing. Yeah. You know, I I I just I'm tired of typing. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, and that was for me the the irony. So I mean, I built a platform to to organize all of this, but then. I kind of want to use it to get me to a point and then shut the technology off. And and I left my devices at the base of the mountain when I did Kilimanjaro. So eight days, no phone, no camera. Like literally, I just completely de-digitized.
0: Wait until wait until the next phase of your business and uh, when you're growing like mad and it's, you know, it gets, I don't know, to me it's become harder and each, each phase of the business presents such a different challenge and mm-hmm. disconnecting. Disconnecting is is difficult i mean i I find it difficult you know
1: yeah and i i guess what i'm hoping is that by creating my business around these kinds of companies that sort of make their money kind of disconnecting people in in a way or sort of maybe that it's a little bit negative connecting them with real experiences Mm -hmm. and uh, so i'm hopeful that that'll kind of bleed into our culture and that um, that'll keep me sane
0: that's great. So your current team size, what, about 10? So isn't? there's five of us. Five, five of you. Uh,
1: so it's myself, my co-founder, Bron Tolke. Mm-hmm. She's our lead platform developer. We have Caitlin Wynn. She's our UX designer. She makes it incredibly beautiful. Danish trained. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much the main like IKEA. thing. No, no, <laughs> Ikea. It's Ikea's... Danish? Uh, I think there's Swedish. Swedish. Sorry, yes.
0: I'll get my Scandinavian wrong. That's my right. apologies. To <laughs> but but the Danes also have that minimalist type yeah, of style. Yeah, very right?
1: minimalist, uh, which is something that's been really positively received by our clients. And then we have Linda Lee, who does our sales and marketing. So she, if you follow us on Instagram, you live to travel, you'll see her work. And we have Gina James, who's our junior developer as well.
0: Okay, great. All female team. It's, uh, and the, you guys are all around Melbourne, right?
1: Yeah, so we're sort of scattered around in Melbourne and we uh-huh. come together uh, once a week to, to meet as a team. But primarily we sort of operate as a remote team. So we are open to working with people overseas. And, you know, as we grow, my anticipation is that we'll have people working in remote offices as well.
0: Yeah, great. How are you finding the remote work thing?
1: Well, I'm kind of used to it. So mm-hmm. when I was in experian I was responsible for Asia Pacific product team. So mm-hmm. I had people working in all the major Asian cities, and so I'm very comfortable kind of managing remote teams, even across cultural divides. So uh, you know, it's kind of natural to me. But I think it—it's always a challenge. It's always something you have to be aware of and work yeah, on. Yeah, I
0: think I think yeah, the final point. It's something you have to be aware of. It's definitely you can't treat it. Yeah, you you have to be aware that that there's a difference they're not in front of you there's time differences there's cultural differences you've got to over communicate you can't assume so it requires a little bit of effort but the benefits are definitely definitely there right
1: yeah and I think I am definitely a fan of the digital nomad movement mm-hmm. and I expect that we'll have people working for us that will be sort of moving around to different cities and you know we, we want to see more of that I mean I'm one of those people who believes you know travel changes you in a really positive way it's very hard to be biased and angry when you go into places and discover, oh, look, there's nice people here. Oh, Okay. <laughs> and you
0: know what? There's actually nice people everywhere. Yeah. I think some of the <laughs> toughest places are actually the big Western cities are actually mm. in certain ways. I mean, there's obviously good people there as well, but, but there's, a, there's a sort of aggression that underlies some of these cities. And that's what I think people, you know, when they say Sydney's so fast and New York's so <laughs> fast, yes. Yeah. You know, I I don't find Sydney so fast. Do you find Sydney fast?
1: No, but that's because I lived in New York and I spent a lot of time in Beijing and Tokyo. So, you know, it's all a matter of, you know, reference point. If you're coming from Geelong, then yeah, Sydney's fast, right? But
0: When people say fast, I always think of Midtown New York. Like to me, that is... Like anything less than that's not fast, right? And Agreed. Mid, and midtown New York is <laughs> it's just everyone is grumpy in midtown New York, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, except for the tourists, they seem to be oblivious and my
1: And that just pisses scream. off the locals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think sort of one of the best experiences that really sort of motivated me to start the business is the taking people to Jordan. I had a lot of American friends who actually had to had struggles with their family to go mm-hmm. because the media in the, in the States right. just, you know, paints this right. picture like you're going to get kidnapped and it's totally dangerous. And they came home just being like, it was so welcoming and like, right. you know, and, and it's sometimes it is these countries that are sort of dangerous on the news are actually, they have a culture of you know, they hospitality. Hospitality of just like you are a guest. I will, I will feed you until you explode. And you know, it's it's well, I beautiful. Think it, it comes
0: down to again the point that I made mm. earlier that the dominant voices in the media and everything we're reading and the documentaries are a particular voice. Mm. These people in Jordan are not. It's we, we're not reading tweets from them. You know, we're not reading yeah. blog articles from them. You know, we're totally oblivious to to the way that they mm. see the world, and we just have to be have to be aware of that as well. But I agree yeah. with you, you know, if you go to even whether it's Japan or Thailand or Bali, it's it's the the, the, the welcoming nature mm. and the hospitality is just Astounding! It's it's they can uh, definitely teach us a a thing or two about it. So, plans for the next year or so. You mentioned you're going to be doing a pitch at uh, Melbourne Angels, Mm. building out the platform a bit more.
1: Yeah. So we are currently running a campaign for foundation subscribers. So signing up for an annual subscription now will lock in that price and give you a zero percent transaction fee on bookings and. That means you get to be part of shaping where our product goes as we kind of morph the roadmap for the year. We are delivering a marketplace listing solution to help promote our clients in the next month. So, you know, we've we found that in our marketing efforts, we've attracted travelers as well Mm -hmm. as planners. And we thought, well, rather than sending them away, we should send them to our clients. So we'll we'll set up a, a marketplace for that. And that'll be oriented around travel with purpose. So if you're looking for a retreat or looking for a sort of transformational experience, that'll be on you live travel.com.
0: And it's a very difficult thing to still access and surface the right events, retreats, whatever, mm. you know, actually a, a few months ago, the, one of the co-founders of event brights was in Sydney and, um, I forget her name. It slips my mind. It's at the tip on my proverbial tongue. And, um, I actually asked her the question. I said, you know, Eventbrite, you guys have so much information. I said, no one's really cracked that puzzle yet. Facebook hasn't even cracked that mm. puzzle where I can't tell Facebook that I'm going to be in San Francisco in March, dump me a whole heap of social and business events. No, and and it's, a, it's, it's actually a, a, um, a very difficult – it seems in yeah. the face of it it's a simple problem to solve, but it's actually quite hard. And
1: yeah, because there's so much noise that you get when you try to sort of suck up – All of that, and then filtering it properly is where it gets really hard. Exactly,
0: and and Mm. she said, yeah, it's definitely something that they're going to look at. But they, she realizes that it's there's definitely someone who gets that right. Mm. There's definitely um, there's definitely a big market for that, and it it will happen. I mean, Facebook's obviously sitting on the the most amount of data, and I see that they try to do it, but they still don't really quite nail it. You still have to filter out and sift and you still miss things and you still suddenly start see a hashtag from a conference on Twitter and you think like, why didn't I know about that? That is <laughs> so up my alley. So yeah. um, I'm sort of intrigued by this event discovery problem that still hasn't been solved yet.
1: I think there's a startup here in Sydney called mm-hmm. Hunter, H-U-N-T-R, that is is exploring uh, solutions to that as well. So, I think a lot of people are are chasing that. I'm I'm not sure if I'm in the running for that so much as I'm I'm trying to create the place where the organizers want to organize them mm-hmm. and whether or not the marketing piece of that becomes a big component of our business or just a, you know, a sort of add-on. It will mm-hmm. be interesting to see. So, we've got a lot of tech build to do. We've got a lot of client onboarding to do this year. And really, we just want to, you know, empower more organizers to, you know, take that idea that they have in their head, like, oh, I'm going to do the, you know, these trips this year. It's like, okay, we'll put it on Yuli and we'll make it happen with you.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jennifer, um, Jennifer Fine, um, who's the founder of You Live to Travel, which is um, the creators of Yuli. Um, You're on Twitter at Jen Fine. Mm -hmm. And people can follow you there. And um, yeah, good luck with it all. And uh, it's 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 nice to nice to sort of hear positive Australian founder stories. I think our startup ecosystem is is definitely compounding every year. Yeah, it's amazing. Which is which is just fantastic. And it's um, you know I I look forward to following all your success.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
3: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content (coughs) error-free. Oh, oh. So Kate, um
0: interesting startup, youly as someone who goes to retreats and festivals and all those bits and pieces I can certainly see the value and uh, on on the corporate side of things. I actually tried recently when I went on a short trip to use one of these personal sort of portal travel portals where it's you know it's supposed to track your email and pick up your tickets and and manage your agenda and um i think it's called trip it i think um i didn't have much success with it i probably didn't set it up properly but i do like the idea of having little portals for your trips as well because even from a tax reporting point of view and from an admin point of view it's just if you have everything collated in one place and having to dig through emails uh, etc so um
2: yeah google are doing a good job of that Uh, i've noticed like google calendar and it it, you know integrates with your gmail as well it pulls in air tickets and automatically puts them in your calendar and it's quite good like that i think they pick up on more things like that that we're doing really well
0: yeah, yeah, I think Google Calendar's got a got a huge amount of of scope. Um like I use a third-party scheduling tool to set up podcast interviews and it works great. Google should should really have a a built-in type of scheduling tool like that where people can schedule and but yeah. So, yeah, I mean it was nice to bump into into jennifer at a cafe i mean i don't know are you are you one of these people that go, when you go to cafe and work you're sort of in the zone or do you do you land up um having a chat and, and and networking indirectly along the way
2: um a bit of both a bit of both it depends sometimes i've headphones in and i'm in the zone don't bother me uh uh-huh. And then other times, yeah, it's quite common. People come up and they ask me what I'm doing, especially if I'm doing a bit of coding.
0: They're (laughs) intrigued. They're curious. You're
2: coding in a cafe. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's really good. Like, it's a good way to meet people. Usually, they're just curious, and you sort of tell them what you do for work and, you know, the situation, and they go, "Wow, it's amazing." And some people want to. They want to know how they can get into something similar. And other people just sort of go, "Wow." technology these days
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe because whistler is a holiday town if you were in san francisco or new york or um or even in sydney it might not not be as novel but maybe everyone everyone there is is either you know working in a barn skiing during the day and you, maybe you're a little bit unusual i don't know are there a lot of digital nomads in whistler yeah
2: yeah more than you think really more than you think one of the um there's quite a lot of Starbucks here, but most of them are designed to not sit down or, or not sit down for very long. You know, like They're very like the stool or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is one Starbucks that has like a bit of a restaurant area with tables and stuff like that. And it gets packed. Like sometimes I walk in there and it feels like a little office.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. And there's a couple of co-works popping up that are getting more popular. There's more than you think out there.
0: Look, I think I think it's become gonna become more and more of a trend just because it makes so much sense for everyone. I mean, even particularly and you know, it's a theme we talk about regularly, distributed teams and remote work, et cetera. And um even just because big cities are just so expensive, right? Even just that factor alone is just you know, makes so much sense. Like in Australia we've got a zillion great little country towns and that are very reasonably priced. And You can own a great house there as opposed to renting, you know, a tiny, tiny little place in Sydney. And just that factor alone just makes so much sense and that will relieve pressure in the cities. And look, the cities are always going to have a lot to offer and it's not going to work for everyone. But... um, um, people yeah. are people are definitely going to realize more and more, particularly with the existing staff members that are established and onboarded, that they they're going to let them, you know, move around the world. Particularly the twenty to thirties, I think. I think people eventually do want to settle down, but that that age group definitely will take a job where they can move around generally over a job where they they need to stay put.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit different in Whistler because it's a holiday town. It's actually the opposite. It's quite expensive, mm. but because it's only an hour and a half from Vancouver, I think a lot of people do take advantage of the fact that they can just take their computers and stay here for a couple of days. They can work and ski in the morning and and be totally flexible.
0: Yeah, look, it's definitely a wonderful, wonderful option too. I mean, I I had a short holiday a few days in Bali recently in Ubud, and um, what was remarkable was I was sitting in relatively... I wouldn't say remote's too, too strong a word, but, um, you know, a little bit off the beaten track cafes in rice fields. And um, I sent the team a screenshot of the, the internet speed I was getting there. It was just fantastic. It was about, I don't I think about 30 down and about 15 up, and um, which was fantastic, you know, and sitting in this beautiful rice field, doing some work, eating a beautiful, you know, veggie curry and just looking out of the rice fields. And, you know, most of the time, we are just in 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 our game just staring at the screens, you know, at least 60, 70% of the time. So whether I'm sitting at the screen here or there, the one thing I do miss is the external screen, right? I, I did travel – and this is a tip if you travel and you do work. I do travel with – a laptop stand, the Rooster, which is a portable, flexible laptop stand that you can buy online, which is fantastic. And I travel with a with a portable external keyboard and a portable external mouse, and they're really easy to slip into your suitcase, right? So you pop the laptop up on the Rooster, you set up your keyboard and mouse, and you actually got a, a much more comfortable workstation, but you don't still have those two screens. And two screens definitely helps with productivity. I'm still waiting for Apple or someone to... Um, to actually come up with an extendable screen of sort, which s- has to really be possible. Ones that slide out on both sides, even if it slides out one third on both sides, so you get a longer screen, right?
2: Yeah. I would rather, if I was to buy one of those computers with the extendable screens, I would rather it would be a, a separate piece. I wouldn't want it to be part of my actual
0: machine i wonder if there's software that makes sense yeah it does and i'm just it's got me thinking i wonder if there's software that allows you to use a tablet um yeah that type of thing you know like i've got an android tablet but it wouldn't be a problem buying an ipad and if you actually just put that on a stand and that becomes a screen it's a good question if you know of any options, just uh, email us, but I'll I'll Google it. I'm pretty sure there might be software that actually does that. If not, we should definitely create it because that's a really good idea, right? Because most a lot of people travel with a computer and a tablet, right? Especially yep. business people. And you just put up your tablet and boom, there you go. You've got a second screen, portable second screen. Yep.
2: yep. Or something that clipped up to the side of the screen would be, I would enjoy that rather. So I could
0: clip on and clip off. See, Kate's always and got it extended it. Kate's, Kate's understated person. That's always got original ideas. And she just quietly comes in with her good ideas. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very. Your humility is very Australian, very Australian. But yeah, you, you got, I think I think you're right. I think that would make a lot more sense to have something that clips on. That's just yep. – that That doesn't – and oh, I mean – depend,
2: depending where you are, if it was part of the screen and you could, you know, as you were sort of saying, pull it out a third or whatever. I mean if it was – if you could define the length maybe but depending on how big your desk is, and like what cafe you go to, like I would rather have a, an extension rather than something that I have to physically fit my laptop in.
0: Kate, I think we've just come up with a new business idea
2: maybe
0: and all the people listening I don't to this,
2: if someone hasn't done this yet
0: and all the people listening to this podcast are sharing it with us and maybe we should just crowd fund it and we should because i would love that i would love when i traveled because to me that's the final mile of me having a, a fully remote friendly workstation where i can be on the road and just sit at a hotel desk or even at a cafe. I mean, it's a bit tricky. At a cafe, you can't just make yourself at home and set up this big like, workstation and settle in for the day. But you could probably find co-works where you can rent a space for the day or even, you know, at the hotel or, and, and to, to have a nice clip on screen where that extends your your workstation uh, visibility area of the screen side of things would be fantastic and it is quite interesting that no one has done that probably not easy because it's going to require hardware and software and you to create that virtual desk but you know if you're plugging in if you can plug in extendable screen uh, third-party screens in any case it should you should just the form factor of that screen is just what will change right so it should it should be doable right
2: yeah, even if you went up, if you had another, imagine your laptop screen, double it, another one on top of it, and then a, you don't even need a cord potentially, but a cord that goes to your HDMI port is exactly the same as if you were to, to put something onto a TV, so adding another screen.
0: Yeah, and what would be really cool is if it could somehow do it over Wi-Fi, so you don't need screens, but I don't know if that would be fast enough, because you really need that immediate um mm. I mean, they do that with remote desktops, right? And maybe you could sort of somehow piggyback that, but definitely something, definitely something to think of. And you could design these clip-on for depending on what laptop you got, so whether you have got a Mac or you know Lenovo, and you just have it, you know, the clip-on integrated really well with um, with with the specific type of computer that you have.
2: Mm. I'm I would be very surprised if it's not already done.
0: If it's done, I want it. I want one, and I'm going to try it out. Yeah, to clip on the top, and you even yeah to have two screens on top of each other, no problem. Clip on the side, or two on the side, or even just even just a a, a really light portable screen that you can just pop up. Because the demand for these with with digital nomads and remote work and distributed teams and people that want to be on the go and want to work i mean even myself even though i'm in sydney and we've got a, a small office here i like to mix it up it's i don't want to sit at my desk from morning to night i, I go to cafes i work a bit from home sometimes even the botanical gardens which is so beautiful in sydney i sit out there and i i work from there so to have a nice little on the move setup even even if you're not a remote worker not a distributed team will make sense Anyway, we have gone on all sorts of tangents. Thank you so much for listening to episode 112 of the It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. You've been with myself and my co-host, Kate Frappell. We'd love to hear from you. Email us, uh, podcast at monkey.com, especially if you want to be a guest, if you know of any guests, if you want your startup promoted. And uh, we, we, we might still start getting that startup minute going again if you uh, – I don't know why we called it the startup. Did we call it the startup minute, Kate? One minute. Because we got people... One
2: minute
0: ad. But it was less than one minute. We got people to send in about... We just wanted them to send in 20, 30 seconds though. So I'm thinking, why did we call it the startup minute?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the intention was for a minute. A
0: minute's too long. It sounds great. Um, The startup snapshot, maybe we'll call it. And if you've got a startup... and you want free promotion we want nothing back it's just to give something back to the community send us an audio clip with 20 seconds telling us what you do and we'll, put a, we'll insert the audio clip into the show and we'll give you a link on our blog post which is always good for SEO but thank you so much for listening to us we've got some great shows coming up and we're going to we're trying for weekly frequencies we're not going to promise them but we're going to try for weekly frequencies and um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us
2: thanks, see ya